But look, here's the thing about Toronto. Number one, let's just face it. They're soft. And it's not Kawhi Leonard. I don't it would they were soft before Kawhi got there, and they're still soft. He's not soft, but what is going on? I mean, this this is a soft team. It's been that way for the last five or six years. Thank you. And I <laughs> by the way, I love Canada. Canada Canada's soft. It, they're nice. I like visiting too, but it's soft. <laughs> All right. Drake, Drake is soft. a dope rapper. He's a little soft. All right. He's a great rapper. One of the best, but I'm just saying. Hey, listen, they have, they shrink, and they do. They First of all, LeBron was the meteor that led to their extinction in the playoffs. And now, Joel Embiid is just intimidating them. Why can't we have nice things? Like, why are we still having this conversation? This conversation is free association. I'm Donovan Bennett. I'm joined by the voice, the man, the point god, as I call him, that you know well, Tyler Ennis, who is not soft as a basketball player. Jesse Rubinoff, who is always bringing your highlights covering the series. And the man who actually was covering the series was in Philadelphia, Arden Zwelling. Guys, can you help me? And as Drake said in his own beef, I might be mad that I gave this attention, but I'm going to. Why are we still having this conversation four, five, six years that Canadian players are soft or the country is soft or the Raptors are soft? How did we get to this place? I think it's stupid. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like plain and simple. We talked about it before. Just like uh, the Raptors at this point have one Canadian on the whole roster. And, you know, in the past few years, we've had a few. But, you know, to generalize the country and call the country soft and everything like that. And we've heard it a bunch of times before. But I think at this point, it's just I think it's the easiest thing to say. I think we've been led by a guy from Philly and a guy from Compton as the Raptors the last couple of years. And you know, you never hear people from Philly being called soft. You never hear people from Compton being called soft. But now, you know, you're you're calling the country soft because, you know, it's led by people from those two cities. So I think it's a stupid comment. I've heard it a bunch of times. And I think if you could single out, oh, Kawhi's not soft, then you could single people out. Then I think you could realize that, you know, we don't have a Canadian lead in this team right now. Did you hear it as a player? Well, I've heard it with Andrew Wiggins a little bit. And I think I've I've heard it with... You know, just like the general, I think Canadians are are nice, and for the most part, we are. But to call us soft, and I think Jamal Murray is one of the most hated players in LA when I was there, and he gets booed every time he comes. Yeah. But they never look at that stuff. So you know, they could say whatever they want. I think they're kind of looking for stuff and fishing. So you know, they could say whatever they want. I think it's just a stupid comment. Yeah, you asked the question, why are we still talking about? It? The reason we're talking about it is because of the views. And the opinions that it generated as soon as Chris Broussard said it. Do you think Broussard's that calculated? Like, do you think that's where it comes from? Or do you think he actually believes what he's saying? I think he might not have thought about what he was saying. And it sort of escalated as he was talking about it. It started off as being the Raptors organization is soft because they haven't been able to get over the hump in the playoffs for the five, six years. And then all of a sudden it went from the Raptors to Canada. And then they just started <laughs> going off on a tangent and why Canada and Drake are soft. So I'm not sure that it was that calculated but once they got into it they started going because i think they knew that it was going to become a lightning rod of criticism you know what you're doing in that moment yeah, the shock aware. jocks you know what you're doing it's so boring man it's so played out i'm so done with it it's <laughs> like you said nobody on this team is even from toronto right. or canada for that matter like chris boucher is making the entire team soft <laughs> his <laughs> back spasms that he hasn't played with he's soft. <laughs> the funny thing is if you just look at grouping these teams together these we the north era teams look at the rosters there's hardly any turnover from that first team. The only guy that is a consistent 
is Kyle Lowry, who is from Philadelphia, from the team that you're playing that you're ascribing is tougher than they are. The GM's not from Toronto or Canada. The president isn't. The coach isn't. I mean, McGlure, I suppose, is part of the coaching staff, but I don't think you're calling him soft. He's in a suit, and he's still trying to fight guys right. when scrums <laughs> happen. So I will say, though, because Broussard isn't Skip Bayless. Like, he's an actual reporter. He has real sources. Yeah. He's broken real stories. I will say that being in a situation like, you know, I'm on Tim and Sid, Jesse, you're on Central, Arden, you're everywhere. There's some times where you have a lineup, you have to talk about things, and then all of a sudden you feel like you need to fill time and you start saying things that may or may not make sense. And so maybe that's where we're going. But the issue for me is that this is not in isolation. Like, he's not the only American person who said this about the team or the Canadian players or about Drake. And I think Drake won his beef with the Philadelphia rapper, did he not? So he wasn't he wasn't yeah. soft in that instance. But to me, what's more interesting is not just Broussard himself. This is how this became an overarching narrative for American journalists, the way it was with European players before Dirk won. Right. No, that's a good point. I think the even still, I think with uh, Dirk being successful and, and Luca now, you know, you hear people talk about European players being soft, you know, kind of not trusting it. But at this point, I think there's you know, almost 20 uh, NBA players from the Toronto area alone and Canada in general. And they're pretty good. Right. Too. So I think it's just an unfair take. I, I don't take any, you know, heed to it. I think it's a really stupid comment on his part. Though. Well, the other thing is guys like Broussard, when they're here, they're staying in hotels in Yorkville. Right. right? They're not going to Regent Park or Flemo, right? The thoughts might be different if they experience the entire country and, and really the entire city. Arden, you were in Philly when those... Staying at one of those nice hotels. Right. Exactly. Not going to the hood at all. Yeah, yeah. You, weren't, you, you, weren't, you weren't. Nice in, and insulated. You weren't walking around in Kyle's neighborhood with him. When those comments surfaced, did anyone from the team or the organization even get wind of it? Was there, was there any chatter at all? I'm sure people caught wind of it, and I'm sure they wouldn't let people like me know that right. that's what they're thinking about right now. You know, And I think that this is the time of year where you go, did LeBron call it Zero Dark Thirty, right, on yeah. social media? Like, you just shut it out. Like, you can't even let anybody know that any of that is even entering your periphery. You just can't let any, you just got to be head down, laser focused. And, like, if anybody's going to set that tone on this team, it's Kawhi Leonard. Right. And the way that he goes about his business and the way that he even he has, you know, these phenomenal moments on the court. And it's just a little solitary fist bump and look up at the clock like, all right, what's my next thing? You know, it's on to the Nick Nurse was saying today, you know, that's the amazing thing about him is. Again, he's he is so even keeled. You know, it was uh, it was a question that Hubie Brown asked me pregame yesterday. Like this guy's out there doing it with like no expression on his face at all. Right. But that's just who he is, you know, and and uh, I, I like it a lot. I think it's there's no time for any types of celebrations. It's, there's work to do, man. You score a bucket and you got to start guarding. You win a game and you got to play another one. I mean, this is to borrow a phrase that everybody uses. This is a grind. These things are these things are grinders, and being even keeled and professional, hardworking. Tough mentality is what it needs on each each game and each each possession, really, both ends. Through everything, it's, you know, the emotions are just flat. It's never too high, never too low. It's just on to the next game, on to the next play, on to the next possession. That's the mindset. Zero dark 30 all the time. Yes. Honestly, no <laughs> social media at all. Was it 
Cassidy Hubbard who tried to interview him and then like after one question <laughs> they're like wrap it up and he's like cool I'm gone yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm out and his numbers have been crazy game one 45 points 16 of 23 from the floor game two 35 points 13 of 24 game three 33 points 13 of 22 game four 39 13 of 20 and maybe I mean is it crazy to say the biggest three-point shot in the history of the franchise like is that hyperbole at this point I don't think so no, that was probably the biggest quarter they've played in franchise history. Like that fourth quarter tied 75-75 coming in, knowing that if you lose this quarter, you are down 3-1 in a scenario that only 11 teams have ever come back from in the history of the league. And if you win that quarter, you're tied going home. You got to win two out of three and two out of those three are yeah. at home. That's a massive, massive swing. You think about the repercussions if they don't play well in that fourth quarter and they don't win the game then they go down 3-1 only 11 teams in NBA history have come back from that 3-1 deficit and then if they go on to lose a series you're thinking about oh my goodness could this entire run of great Raptors basketball be coming to an end and you're thinking about a potential full rebuild because if they lose in the second round the chances that Kawhi is going to stay go down that much more you would at least think so it was a massive quarter of basketball a massive game and to see Kawhi Leonard it just felt like in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter the entire offense ran through him. I don't even think anybody else touched the ball or factored in. And moving forward, I'm not sure if Raptor fans are going to be comfortable with just giving them all the Kawhi and everybody else get out of the way for that amount of time. But yesterday, it worked. You yeah. don't think he's going to shoot 60% for the playoffs? Yeah. 38 <laughs> points per game and 62% in the series. Work. Well, and the funny thing is, so he's got six games in the playoffs of 30 plus most in franchise yep. history already. DeMar and Kyle both have had a playoff run in 2016 where they had five. It took them 20 games to do it. He's done it in nine games and we saw the seven turnovers, right? Made some questionable decisions, but the adjustments have been made already with Philly on him. They took Butler off him. They've given him some more athleticism in Simmons. They've, tried to trap him. They've sent doubles. They've sent Embiid to trap him, and it hasn't phased him. Like, he's fully in his bag right now. Yeah, I think um, even watching the game, he's playing more minutes than he's used to, and essentially he's only coming out the game to rest for a few seconds at, at most. But um, I think the, the turnovers are uh, subjects of fatigue. You know, he's playing more minutes, and I, I think his usage numbers would be, you know, higher than the regular season. But he essentially is making a lot of plays on his own. You know, I think Kyle played a lot better. I think Serge Ibaka played a lot better. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think the Raptors are even in the game if Kawhi is not playing at that level that he's playing at right now. So, you know, will he keep it up? I don't know. I, I think it'd be tough, you know, especially playing a team maybe seven games. It's hard to average almost 40 points in, in a series. But I think that's the reason why he's a super max player. I think he's should be in the MVP conversation every year if he's playing those games without injury. Kawhi's 40 minutes aren't the same as Danny Green's 40 minutes. Like the stress of those right. minutes, the ball, like you were saying, the usage, the ball's in his hands at all times. Yeah. Like how many of his shots were just self-created? You know, right. how many of those like field goals were assisted? It wasn't a ton. A lot of it is it's on him to make this happen. So it, those are stressful minutes. Yeah. So those turnovers are going to come from that fatigue, but... I mean, what Kawhi is showing you is there's levels to this thing, right? Like there are, you know, there is a different level that you can go to as a player of that caliber. Like you would have played with Harden, you know, or right, Giannis, no. right? Yep. Like there is another echelon that he is in that is separate from where a lot of NBA players are. You right. mentioned his ability to create his own shot. And then Brett Brown, after the game yesterday, compared to Kobe, said 
the stuff that he can get off, and we had two people out there, the stuff that he can do to create his own shot is, uh, is Kobe-like for me. You know, it's, he's, he's, he's just so gifted in relation to doing that. And we watched that yesterday. It didn't matter who they put on him. Simmons and Bede on the switch on the last play of the game. Butler, doesn't matter. At this point, he's just doing everything himself and it's working. But I would think, I know Lowry and Gasol were better. Do we think they need to still be more aggressive and more assertive in taking their own shots? I think Kyle said after the game yesterday too. Even tonight, I still passed him some shots that I could have took. um, But we got the win and, um, you know, game... You know, game five will be, you know, still the same way, coming out, being aggressive and not worry about anything, but just going hoop and whatever it takes for my team to win. And I think just the aggressiveness of me is what we need. With the usage with Kawhi, is it even possible? Do you think they're a little bit confused in the rhythm of the offense of how to get involved if it just seems like the offense is now just give the ball to Kawhi and get out of the way? Is that what's holding them back here? I'm interested to hear what you think, Tyler, because you're, you're seeing the chemistry kind of be formed with some lineups that they yeah. didn't play often throughout the regular season. But first three quarters of the game, there were five of 18 on uncontested threes. Those are shots you have to, to stick. And that's not even counting the amount of shots that Gasol and Kyle, even though they were better, passed up that they should have shot. So Lowry, 14.76, six rebounds. He's a different player to me in the wins than he is in the losses. And that sounds kind of obvious. But 13.3 points in, in the wins, nine in the losses. 48 from the floor in the wins, 27 in the losses, 32 from three in the wins, 12 in the losses. He just has to be like a replacement player yeah. to basically use a baseball term. Like you just can't be terrible. And he wasn't. And that's why I think Kawhi was able to save you at the end. Cause Kawhi, if anything is as much as we're giving him all the praise, he's been steady wins, losses. He's been good. It's whether or not he got help in Gasol. I thought helped as well. You know, his highest, amount of points in the series was eight he's he doubles that and gives you 16 but those guys still to me passed up a lot of open looks yeah i know agreed um the frustrating part i think for purely as a fan of the raptors and kyle lowry is that you know you've seen him go out and play aggressive nonstop. but i think it's it's hard as a player to play all year trying to you know kind of set the table for everybody make sure Kawhi is comfortable like we talked about you know in a bunch of podcasts but um i think it's hard to kind of just turn it on and I think you could come into a game in the first quarter, kind of play aggressive and take those shots. But at some point, you're going to revert to what you were comfortable doing. And I think this whole year, he's been comfortable kind of taking even more of a backseat to Pascal and Kawhi and, and kind of just set the table and score, you know, when they need him or when he's open. But, you know, I think for them to have a chance at closing the series out, I think he has to play the way he, he played when he first came over to the Raptors. And that's, you know, a bulldog scoring the ball and, and just being aggressive, even if that means shooting some shots that are, are terrible shots, I think more likely than not, he's going to uh, set the table and kind of set that aggression for the team, especially having a homework run advantage again. I think that point about Kyle in the first quarter is important because when he's aggressive early, like it sets a tone for him for the game. And right. if he can get into that rhythm early, like when you see him, you know, attack the rim on like their first or second offensive possession, or he comes down and like 20 on the shot clock and takes that pull up three when defense isn't quite set and they aren't expecting him to and, and he hits it. That changes the tone of the game for him. Like that's so, and you saw him try to do that last night or in game four. Like you saw him try 
to get into that rhythm because he knew and he'd come out and told us, I need to be more aggressive. I need yeah, to do that's this. That's Kyle when he's at its best, for right? sure. With Gasol, it's a bit different. It's more so you need to be that safety valve when Kawhi Leonard gets double teamed, sometimes triple teamed, and he kicks the ball out to you. And if you got six feet of space, like you see it in his eyes, right? <laughs> like the first thing he does when he gets the ball, looks left and right, you know? Like, even his hands are just in a passing position. Like right. he's not stepping into his shot already like some guys are needs to be more aggressive with it he wants to make the extra pass like my guy you're open by 17 like (laughs) your shot is the shot don't let me get a three seconds in the lane you gotta let it fly i kind of admire it though because he wants it to be beautiful right like he wants it to be you know the perfect shot on that possession right like if his is like oh you know it's a 75 percent chance but this other guy could have 78 like he wants (laughs) to find 78 doing all the calculations in his head as he's decided to make the pass i've had similar struggles as far as being aggressive especially as a point guard i know how hard it is you know for kyle to kind of turn it on and turn it off but i think you know for gasol he's a veteran player he's been to i think the western conference finals and to see him go through this struggle not struggle but go through you know rough patch and trying to figure out how to play you know it goes to show how hard it is to play in the playoffs but also win you know for a veteran guy that they brought specifically for the playoffs for him to to go through a struggle that you'd think a rookie would go through i think it goes to show that the NBA is is never you're never going to figure it all out you know I can appreciate that being you know a player and just a fan that you know you never get to you know the LeBron level where it seems like he always has everything figured out I think you still continue to learn and, and know what the team needs. He spent a decade in Memphis as the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he knew it was the balls going through him and his usage was going to be high. And then he comes here where you've got Kawhi and you've got Kyle and you've got Pascal Siakam, who we instantly forget about after game four, but who's been like <laughs> right. the number two usage guy on this team throughout the playoffs until he got hurt. So he's trying to figure out how to play a role in that and a right. reduced role. It's like you're talking about, like it's hard to do that and right. to adjust after a decade of doing things in another fashion. Yeah, he had the nice floater, which is a good sign early, but 25 mil owed next year, traded three guys for you, you're a formal all-star, you can't be the open for a reason guy. Like, when it swung to you, you can't be the guy where defenders are screaming, we'll take that, we'll take that. You you have to take it and make it, and make them pay. It's funny, because like baseball, I'm going to continue to make baseball analogies, because Arden's here. Um, (laughs) It's funny, like, when things are going well, everyone slots in in the right position. And Kyle is the best as a number three guy and not maybe your, your best or second best player if you expect to be a championship team. Last night, for me, their number two guy clearly in this playoff run, Pascal Siakam, was not that. Started 0 for 8 from the floor. The contusion clearly where he tried to trip Embiid was impacting him. Now he's off of the injury report for game five. But if he is not his energetic self, the makeup of this lineup is drastically different. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Nick Nurse making the adjustment and going with the two bigs really helped them. And then the lineup where they had Kyle with Kawhi at the two, essentially, and Pascal and Ibaka and Gasol really changed the game. And, you know, I think they still gave up a couple, you know, offensive rebounds. But for the most part, I think, uh, you know, having all those guys out there in the length and, you know, having a bunch of big guys to kind of help out on Embiid and, and get extra hand up there really helped as the game went on. Yeah, well, it's funny because this is, series has become about adjustments and being able to live with mismatches. And so early in the series, the Sixers said, well, you know what? If Kawhi is going to be harassing Ben Simmons, we're just going to put him in the dunker spot. We're going to run our offense through Jimmy Butler and Kawhi's defensive acumen is going to be nullified. He's mm-hmm. going to be a rim protector. So the Raptors made an adjustment, took Kawhi off of him and put him on, on Butler. 
the Sixers said, you know what? We can hide Tobias Harris on Gasol. We don't believe that he's going to punish us in the post. And if he does, if he's taking shots and Kawhi and Pascal aren't, great. We'll live with that. And similarly, I think the Raptors said, we'll live with Serge Ibaka guarding Tobias Harris for long stretches because we're going to do a better job on the glass. We're going to be able to double Embiid with a little bit more force. And in the fourth quarter, it worked. First three quarters, Philly averaged 25 points, 45 from the floor, shooting the three ball, nine of 24. In the fourth quarter, and a lot of that was with Ibaka and Gasol on the floor together. Philly, 21 points, 23.8 from the floor, three of 14 from three. Did Nick Nurse almost stumble into something because Pascal wasn't really himself early in the game? You mentioned that super long lineup, right? And I I remember watching like the fourth quarter begins, right? And it wasn't even Kawhi out there. It was Danny Green instead mm-hmm. of Kawhi. So you're Kyle, Danny Green, Siakam, Abaka, Gasol to start the fourth quarter in a tied game with this quarter being everything. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, oh, if this doesn't work, <laughs> yeah, again, like, yeah. oh man, Nick Nurse is going to catch some heat. Arden's like, ready to write his lead. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> story. Well, he, just press enter. Yeah. The tightrope that he was walking in that moment, right? And I think they're either plus two or minus two in those minutes. And then Kawhi came back, 10 minutes remaining, nine minutes remaining, and everything was fine from there. But like that was a seriously high wire tightrope act that he, the Nick Nurse kind of walked there. And it worked. The two bigs worked. Is it sustainable going forward? Serge Ibaka is just so inconsistent. That's the thing, right? You got good Serge. Are you going to continue to get him going forward? Because there's been times in these playoffs even where he's been borderline unplayable. Yeah, I think Nick Nurse deserves a lot of credit for yesterday. We saw earlier in the series Brett Brown get praised when he made his adjustments. And one of those was putting Joel Embiid on Pascal Siakam. That created a lot of problems for Siakam. He was daring him to shoot and Siakam wasn't necessarily responding. But then yesterday, you talked about that lineup that they had to start the fourth quarter. And Nurse also realized that he wasn't going to necessarily get productive minutes out of Fred Van Vliet, Norm Powell, or Patrick McCaw. And Nurse really took it down to about a six-man rotation. Six guys had 29 or more minutes in the game yesterday. So I think Nurse deserves a lot of credit because just like Brown made his adjustments for the Sixers, Nurse then made his adjustments in game four in what was the biggest game of the season, and it worked. Those are the only guys he could trust yesterday. Yeah. That was it in game four. Those are the only guys he could trust. Like there was, you know, if Fred Van Vliet's going to play the way that he has been, right, you know, and OGN and Obi unavailable, I mean, where else are you going? Patrick McCaw is fine, but I, I don't know that he's going to be a heavy minutes rotation guy for you in these playoffs. Jeremy Lin hasn't played a minute, a meaningful minute in a month. Right. What are you going to do? He only had six guys he could yeah. trust. The Raptors are out of players. Yeah, with his length, to me, I don't think this is a series for Fred. I think you put him on ice and you say, hey, if you want to play with Eric Bledsoe or Kyrie Irving in a week and a half and we're lucky enough to continue to playing, great. But other than hiding him on Redick at times, I don't really see how he can make an impact on either end of the floor. And you see it in his body language because he looks like all of the confidence that he normally yep, plays with 100%. is gone. Tyler, mid-series with stakes high. Is that something that you can get back, that confidence and swag? I think it's tough. I think the length is really bothering him. You know, I think Philly kind of taking McConnell out the rotation and playing Jimmy Butler at backup really, you know, changed the series for him specifically just because that's true. He's he's being guarded by, you know, a six eight guy as opposed to a guy that's his height. Yeah. And um his shots not fall, but we've also seen him get blocked on a bunch of shots. So like you said, maybe, you know, sometimes the series just isn't for you. If they get past the Sixers, they're gonna play, you know, some really good guards you know, in the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe the Finals. So I think they'll lean heavily on him. But he's also coming off the thumb surgery. Who knows how much back he really was. So 
playing those guys heavy minutes, the starters and surge, I think that's the way the Raptors are going to go. And, you know, even though you only had a day in between the last game and, and the game tomorrow, I think uh, that's all the rest are going to get. He just looks uncomfortable, right? And uh, for whatever reason, like you said, you know, every guy that he's going to be facing up is going to have like six inches on him right. in this series. So that's tough. But even in, I remember a spot in the third quarter yesterday where he came off of like a Gasol screen. He went wide past the screen and still lost his handle with nobody guarding him and then had an opportunity to drive on. It was either Harris or Embiid. Like he had room to go to the to the rim. And how many times have we seen Fred at his best attack a speed mismatch get to the room, try to draw a foul, do, you know, kick out if he draws help, whatever, didn't take it, and threw like a weird bounce pass to Gasol beyond the arc when just a regular pass would do, like just weird things that yeah. he was doing out there that he wouldn't normally do. It just looks uncomfortable. Yeah, I think confidence, you know, something I've noticed and is one of the traits in the NBA that, you know, not everybody has. I think everybody is confident when everything's going well and they're winning and, you know, whatever, you're playing 25, 30 minutes a game and Kyle's out, so you're playing and starting. But I think when you hit adversity is when you really see the confidence in guys. So one of his best traits is confidence. So, you know, whether he gets that back at the end of this series or if they get to the next series and he has a fresh start, you know, I think the the all-stars and the superstars, not only are they talented, but they also have confidence that they go through a rough patch that, you know, basically they're going to shoot their way out of it. And I don't know if you'll have the opportunity to do that with Kyle and Kawhi and Danny playing so many minutes, but, you know, I think he's earned the right through the regular season and, basically his spot in the Raptors that if they get past the Sixers, he's going to have a fresh start. So maybe that'll be something that helps him out. The thing with him is his struggles are different than the other guys in the rotation. If Gasol is struggling with his shot offensively, well, we can trust him to make sure the catch is difficult for Embiid, pushing him out from his spot a little bit and play some good defense. If Danny Green is struggling, well, at least people are respecting him. He's giving us some gravity on the offensive end. Even if his shot's not falling, he's having uh, impact offensively. Siakam isn't shooting the way he was in early in the series. If he's struggling in game four, his ability to just tire the opponent and rim run gives you things offensively, and he's always helping the helper defensively. If Fred Van Vliet is not playmaking for others and sticking catch-and-shoot three-point shots, He's not doing anything for you. I could get anybody to walk the ball up the floor and get us into our offense because more times that offense is going to be like, okay, where's Kawhi? And then (laughs) then we're going to get into our set from there. So that's why I really think this may not be a series for him. And it's a great observation by you, Tyler. No McConnell, which is basically, you know, the Sixers version of him kind of takes him out of the series in that sense. And, And some of the depth by the Raptors has been nullified by who Brett Brown has decided to play. So we, it's now a best of three at this point. We've had four games as this trial period, but as we end the Raptors discussion on this pod, we'll go around the room. I'll start uh, with you, Tyler. What have we learned? Like, what have we learned seeing these four games that applies to the next two, potentially three, and is something that as a Raptors fan, you should be looking for if you are expecting your team to be successful? As a Raptors fan, you're going to always keep that Kawhi situation and whether he's coming back or not. And I think everyone kind of bases how far they get in the playoffs on whether he's coming back or not. Where in reality, I have no idea what Kawhi is going to do, but I don't think it's a factor. You know, whether they win the championship or not, I think he's going to do whatever he wants to do. We've seen him turn down money, leaving the Spurs to to go to a team. So I don't think money is the motivation for him or anything like that. But I think it's it comes down to Kyle Lowry. I think he gets a lot of heat when he plays bad, and when he plays good, it's kind of like, all right, we expect you to do that. So I think he's 
kind of in a lose-lose situation being, <laughs> you know, the the face of the Raptors for so long and then having to take a backseat to Kawhi. But, you know, I think it really is on him how good he plays. I think if he comes out and plays bad, the Raptors have no chance. And I think if he comes out and, and plays at the all-star level, we've seen him at, you know, year in, year out. Before the playoffs, I think the Raptors do have a chance with two home games left out of three. That's the problem, right? It's not sustainable. What's happening right now? Like, is he going to shoot 60% for the playoffs, right? And like 50% from three, like in, on that many self-created shots. Like if he was wide open all the time and everything was assisted, like fine. You know, he's he's proven like uncontested shot. Like he is as confident as they come, but he's hitting some shots in some deep coverage right now. And I just don't see it being sustainable going forward. The Raptors just need secondary scoring. They need Gasol and Lowry as much as they up their games in game four. Like it has to go further in game five and somebody from the bench has to show up. And, you know, it doesn't sound like anybody here thinks it's going to be Fred Van Vliet. Maybe it's Norman Powell, you know, or maybe it's Serge Ibaka going off and, and having a big scoring night. But like somebody needs to supplement this because, you know, the Raptors, you know, they came out of game four with a pretty tight win in a game when you could say, wow, they did a lot of things really well. And Kawhi had a historic performance. Game should have been a blowout. Yeah. You look at the amount of open shots that the Raptors had, the amount of uncontested looks from three. Serge Ibaka twice shot threes with like a force field around him and <laughs> airballed. Or the second one hit the backboard. Like neither of them caught rim. Pascal Siakam in the first quarter alone missed three open threes from the corners. Like those are the shots that need to fall if they're going to win. Yeah, they're good shooters too. So you would expect them over the course of the playoffs to start hitting more threes. They have to if they want to be successful. One guy that we haven't spoken about and I think looms really large in the series as we've seen is Joel Embiid and the story with him. It started off at the beginning of the series. It was knee tendonitis, didn't know how he was going to play. Then he had the stomach flu. Then he started showboating when he had an amazing game three, playing off to the crowd. And then yesterday we hear that he texted his coach at 6.20 in the morning telling him that he was up all night, he was puking, he didn't sleep, he didn't know if he was going to be able to play in the game. And he comes out yesterday, has 11 points on seven shots. And this is a guy who after game three, everyone's talking about he's this generational center. And then he comes out the next game and lays an egg like that and says, you know, it was because I was hurt. I'm a little bit tired of the built-in excuses with Embiid. If he is as good as people are saying he is, then he needs to step up and put the team on his back. Just like Jimmy Butler said after the game yesterday. We just want him to be aggressive. You know, hell, if you're going to go two for seven, go two for 20. I'm with it, you know. Like I said, we're we rocking with Joe. That's what we need out of him, to, to always be aggressive. Um, moving forward, we, we expect the same thing. Go show why you're so dominant night in, night out on both ends of the floor. But, you know, he's, he's a little bit uh, sick, banged up. So we got a, we got a day to get him right. And yesterday, the Sixers didn't have him. So I'm interested to see how Embiid performs. I think it really looms large in the series. I've got an unpopular opinion on that. I think Joel Embiid was good yesterday. He was a plus 17 in a game his team lost by five. Like, that's hard to do. Let his team in box outs, contested shots, screen assists. Like, he was protecting the rim, really good on Siakam, who obviously like was bothered by the contusion, but Embiid's got to get some credit for the shooting night that Siakam had and the struggles that he had and his inability to, at any point over this series, get that little five-footer that he's lived on for so long. I thought Embiid was good. Yeah, I think it's tough. I give him credit for guarding Pascal, but I think you know he looked like a totally different player from game three to game four, mm-hmm. especially with the injury. 
I think his game, he's, he's skilled, but I think a lot of it is based on, you know, outrunning his opponent and his athleticism and everything like that. So I think him losing even a second or a step, you know, is so big for him playing against a guy that's big like Joel Embiid. But, you know, I think what bothered me is the issues he had game one and two. Game three, we didn't hear anything. He played well. He was, you know, front running, showboating. And then game four, he comes out with no energy. You could see it from the tip that, you know, he wasn't going to have the same game unless something woke him up. So the problem I have, you know, it's not that, you know, he had a bad game, but that after game three and he played well, it's it's easy. To, you know, his knee's feeling great going home and his stomach's yeah. fine. And then yeah, he's coming into, you know, the biggest game in Raptors history, essentially. And he's not the all-star starter 30 and 10 guy that, you know, we've seen all year. So if you're going to showboat and, and I think that's part of his game, you know, when he's talking trash and yeah, gets him playing the to game. the crowd, that yeah. gets him going. And that's the, the best games we see him play. But I think if you're going to do that and you want to be the, the KG and guys like that, you got to do it every night because that's what they did. So it's easy to do it as a, a superstar center during the season. But as a, in the playoffs, I, I think you got to do that every night. Tyler, I'm curious to know your take as a teammate, when you hear a guy like, and B come out after the game yesterday and say, oh, I didn't get a good sleep. You know, I should have been better, but I didn't get a good sleep. And, and it's kind of an excuse after excuse with him when he has a bad game. How do you think the Sixers in the locker room are feeling after hearing that stuff? You know, that's been his thing since he's came into the league. I don't think he has any weaknesses on the court. You know, defensively, he's good offensively. But I think he's been, you know, there's always something is injury wise, you know, his, his knees, his feet, yep. his back, whatever it is. I think there's always something. And when he's playing well, we don't hear anything about it. And he's like, oh, I'm not even 100% yet. And I don't think we've ever heard him like, okay, I'm good. I think that would wear on me where it's like, okay, you know, after game three, yeah, everything's perfect. You're dancing. You've seen him dancing with cheerleaders in the past. But, you know, game four, it's like whether he was sick or not, I think you just get tired of it. And everybody at this point in the season has something wrong with him. It was you know? his coach, by point. the way, who said it. Like, unprompted, too. Like, I was there. Like, he wasn't asked, like, you know, was Embiid sick? It was just like, you know, what did you think of Embiid's game? And he came out, well, I got this I got text. A text from him at 6.20 a.m. this morning telling me, like, he didn't sleep all night. He'd really never felt this poorly, and he was unsure, coach, if I'm going to play. I just want to give you a heads up. I'll try, but I don't know. And, you know, with that started my day. We wouldn't have known about it if not for that, right? He wasn't on the injury report. You know, I doubt anybody would have asked him about it. You know, nobody would have known. See, I'm curious, on the flip side, as an opponent, after game three, if a guy's flexing on you like that, windmilling through the lane, going to the crowd with the ear like he's Hulk Hogan. Do you feel some type of way about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact you didn't only get embarrassed in the game, he rubbed it in and, and yeah. you know, he, he dominated that game. And I think you keep that with you and then on top of it, he's showboating. So the thing with me as a, a player is that if you're going to talk trash and you're going to showboat, I, I expect you to do it from the jump. I think it's easy for anybody and, and fans do it all the time when you're up 30 to talk trash, you know, but, but yeah, you're a front runner. But when you have the confidence, like, okay, it's tie game and I'm talking trash to you and I'm going to hit this shot. And then you do it. I have a lot more respect and I have a ton of respect for Joel Embiid's game. And, and you know, the fact that he talks and backs it up. But I think if he didn't do that at the end of game three and came out and laid an egg, like he did in, in my opinion, we wouldn't be talking about it as much, but the fact that everything was perfect, everything was good. There was no, gastro into whatever it is you know and then all of a sudden it's back i think you know as a as a player or as a player on his team i wouldn't respect it you know you're our superstar we see Kawhi coming out every night doing it we seen james harden coming out every night doing it we need you to do that every single night or 
I don't want you talking trash and getting them, yeah, you know, riled up, up and remembering it, and then we have to go and and take care of it. Did I, you play with anybody that would would touch a guy up after he celebrated like that, like a Perk or Oakley guys who just would not stand for that? Did you play with anyone who um, would be like, no, nah, we're not having this? I played with PJ Tucker in my first year. Wow, and one. He was a uh, enforcer, I'd say, and you know, he was even to the point like he's a sneaker guy, and if we're playing Kyrie and you have Kyrie's, he'd be like, no, nah, you got to take them off. Like we're not doing that, and. Uh, Pat Bev is another guy that, <laughs> you know, even if there was nothing going on, he's still going to touch a guy up. Right. So, you know, I think you need that on a team. And and even if it's not a guy that plays a lot, I think, you know, someone that's not going to take that, they're going to have that hard foul on NBA next game and, and just kind of show like, all right, we're here too. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the Raptors didn't necessarily do that, but they came in in Philly and won, which is extremely hard to do. So I think uh, Kawhi's like quiet confidence and Kyle coming out as, a dog every game is the way they show that. No one needs to be giving away any fouls on a beat. Like, there was a reason why Gasol had five fouls. Right, like, yeah. right. There's a reason why Siakam had, like, the Raptors were in some trouble late in that fourth quarter. Danny Green, Gasol, both at five fouls, Pascal at four, playing limited minutes, too. Embiid is the reason for that. Yeah, like, they're I, using all their fouls. They need to. I mean, Embiid is drawing a lot of those fouls. Like, I think his game four is being so underrated. I know that the points weren't there, and I know that you had the snow boating and all that stuff. But I think he was really impactful on that game. Just his mere presence and a lot of the little things that he did aside from, you know, the field goals, which obviously weren't there. Well, speaking of fouls, one guy who I'm willing to waste a foul on is Ben Simmons. We saw briefly a hack of Simmons and I was like, where has this been? And can we have some more of it? Honestly, he had a bad game. Now, if if anybody had a bad game in game four, I think it was Simmons. Like I went back and watched a lot of the possessions in the fourth quarter with Kawhi. The defense was not good. And he was getting help, and it it still didn't matter. But if you're in situations where Butler is cooking or Embiid is really, you know, finding guys and and scoring in the post, I'm fine with two, three, four possessions in a row fouling Ben Simmons, eating those fouls. Now, granted, you're only playing six guys, so you can't eat too many of those fouls. But having him go to the line and brick two or go one of two and getting that in his head, but also, you know, being able to set, things up a little bit more and use the clock. I thought that was smart when they used it. And I was like, maybe we should be doing this a little bit more. The one thing I'm actually looking at going forward in this series is two guys who haven't played well. Tobias Harris in game four, seven of 23, two of 13 from three. He had a big miss late from the corner. And the guy who, if he hits wide open three that he normally hits at the end of game two, the complexity of this series is totally different. And that's Danny Green who hit, some tough threes, but also missed some open ones. If either of those guys who, for me, if you had an open three-point shot coming into these series, and who do you trust from either team, I would say sure. it's one of those two guys. If either of those guys get close to their normal regular season level, I think it's a totally different series either way. I'd probably go Redick on Philly over Tobias Harris <laughs> like if I need somebody to, to hit a three. But like, yeah, no, Tobias Harris missed some some wide open ones in game four. Danny Green has yet to have that like six of ten night from distance, right? And he's probably not going to see like that volume of attempts from three unless he's really hot, just at the way the Raptors offense is operating right now. But like he could absolutely go out and win you a game at some point in these playoffs. I mean, you were mentioning Jimmy Butler before with Philly. Like if Philly gets out of this round, how happy are they that they traded for Jimmy Butler? Because he has carried them through this. He has been their most consistent, productive, 
their offensively and defensively player throughout. You know, like Joel Embiid's been hot and cold. Simmons hot and cold. The Butler has been there throughout. He's been so important to them. We talk so much about the process, right? And about Simmons and about Embiid and about the trade for Harris. It's the Butler deal. That's the key one. Well, and they said when those two deals were made that we certainly want to re-sign Harris. We'll see about Butler. That was the talk anyways, coming from Philly beat writers. This series may change that perception a little bit. Before we go, though, I want to give some love, a hat tip to the Canadian Jamal Murray, who, who's gone off. 11 from 11 from the line in game four to get the Nuggets a win. 18 from 18 from the line in the series. And I guess when your dad is like a kung fu master and makes you shoot foul <laughs> shots with a blindfold on, it makes you do wall sits with hot tea on your thighs. I guess the <laughs> pressure is different for you. But, I mean, this Nuggets team, 19 and four in games decided by four points or less. And other than the Joker, who's an MVP candidate. It's not going to win, but he'll get some votes. Murray has been, been the best guy for the Nuggets. We in Canada have known about him for a while, but is this him kind of announcing himself to the, to the greater kind of NBA world? Um, I think so. I think when you do it at the playoffs, everybody's watching and it's a, a bigger stage. Like I said, I think it's easy for a guy that's starting and playing 30 minutes during the season to do it. But when you, you're playing a team like Portland, who made Russell West look look Brad yeah and, and Damian Lillard came out and outplayed Russell Westbrook you know a supermax elite all-star superstar guy and then Jamal Murray comes in and I've seen some some comments from Lillard basically showing that you know I respect this guy coming in and Jamal doing it you know I think through his shoulder and and you know a different injury but you know to touch on his dad and and I know him personally you know for a bunch of years and when they were young and he he very much is a guy that goes in and and does a lot of different stuff rather than the the regular like I'm gonna lift weights and then just work out. No, he's like meditation and like he'll do like a four a day and like just completely out four of four workouts a day. Yeah, I remember a quick story. I, we were at Athletes Institute where he went to high school and you know I came in the morning and my brother went at night and Jamal was there in the morning with me. He was there in the middle working out and and I legit think he went to the gym in the morning and he's like, all right, when I get bored of this workout I'll stop take a rest and go back and and do it again and you know it's paid off you know I think he's made himself even more money than he deserves in this playoffs I just hope people are watching that series yeah it's the it's been the most fun series of this round for me I've loved every single game of it and like I just I you know the games are on kind of late on the east coast so I hope people are watching because you know like yeah watching Murray is amazing right now Dame is one of the most fun players to watch in the league CJ McCollum having this huge series like can you imagine if Nurkic was available? Like yeah, if he true. was healthy? Can you imagine if he was in the center of, of this, right? Yeah. You know, like battling with Jokic? I mean, this series would be even better than it's already been. And we had free basketball too with the four overtime game. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I guess those four day workouts came in handy. I know. What do you play? 60 minutes? Yeah. yeah. Every, hour. every sports scientist that's listening to this podcast just had a heart attack. Like there's diminishing returns after <laughs> workout two. Yeah, no, Never mind four. He's a different guy though. I, I wouldn't do it myself, but. You know, yeah. it works out for him. Well, he's a different guy, and at this point, he's probably the best Canadian basketball player in the world. Yeah. Not named Tyler Ennis, anyways. <laughs> um, no, he's he's had a, a beast of a series. And what's great about the playoffs is after every game, there's a totally different storyline. This next podcast that we have, the tenor of it may be totally different. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. <laughs>